Um, I'm a church boy through and through, so I grew up in the church. And so I went through Sunday school, youth group, college ministry, young adult ministry, and then finally grown-ups church. But my favorite time, I think, was during Sunday school, the worship was so lit. If you grew up in church, you know that Sunday school worship is so fun, right? You have all the body motions to every song. Every move I make, I'm making you, right? You shout, you jump, you dance, you yell, you jump up and down and just use all of your body to sing songs to God. But then something happens, a noticeable, remarkable change happens when you graduate from Sunday school and you go to youth group. All of a sudden, you come into a room, and everyone is too cool to really get into worship. And so you come into the room, and the eighth graders are, how great is our God? And they're like mean mugging, trying to look cool. And it's such a stark difference from that freedom and the fun and the joy and the jubilance that you enjoyed as a little kid in Sunday school to being with hormonal teenagers that are trying to look cool in the presence of God. And I find for some reason, the older we get, the less we express ourselves freely and openly in worship. Like we have it in our heads that somehow the Sunday school version of doing worship with body motions, jumping, dancing, shouting, singing aloud is something that we are supposed to grow out of. That somehow it's less mature than the reverent, stoic, Maybe sometimes weepy faced at the most or lift up your hands a quarter of a degree, but somehow that is the more mature evolution of worship that somehow, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord is less than yes and amen. Some reason we have it in our minds that that is maturity is growing up out of that. But I would argue that we're actually missing out on a valuable part of worship. When we cease to become like little kids again, when we've forgotten what it means to come before God in joy and in celebration using all of our lives, not just our minds or our hearts, but our bodies as well, expressing ourselves to God, we actually miss out on a piece of God's heart for worship when we lay that aside. Last week, we defined worship as our love expressed to God as a response to his love expressed toward us. And so our love is a response to his love. So it's not worship if it's not love, but also it's not worship if it's not expressed. I used this analogy last week. Imagine if the last time I said I love you to Krista was six and a half years ago at the altar. Yesterday, we presided a wedding. Some of you might know them, Annie and Phil. And it was such a beautiful ceremony. And they were lovingly looking into each other's eyes, reciting the vows with so much passion and fervor. They were saying, I love you, kissing each other all day. Imagine if for the next 10 years after that day, they never expressed their love or affection for one another again. You would say that is not a healthy relationship. Love is to be expressed. And the beauty about worship is that we get to express our love to God again and again and again. And this is what worship is about. And so today I want to spend time talking not so much about worship itself, but more about praise. What do you think is the difference between praise and worship? 
For me, it was described growing up that praise is the fast song that we do in the beginning of service, and then worship are the two slow songs where we really get into it after the fast songs. But I think that's a reduced, um, reductive kind of way of looking at the difference between praise and worship. One way, one helpful way that I found, and it's so much more, but one helpful way that I found the distinguishing between these two is worship is our entire lives ordered in love toward God. So it's everything. It's the thoughts that I think. It's the feelings that I feel. It's the work that I do. It's the relationships that I have. It's everything. All of my being poured out to God in worship. But within that giant broad scope of everything that I'm giving to God is this little section called praise. And this is a helpful definition that we're going to use for today. Praise is the physical expression of our worship to God. In other words, when I praise the Lord, I'm using my mouth. I'm using my vocal cords. I'm using my body, lifting my hands, moving to express my worship to God. It's not an internal God knows my heart kind of thing. Because, you know, we, we do that sometimes, don't we? We show up to church and like, God knows my heart. I don't need to lift my hands. I don't need to sing out loud. I ain't got a good voice anyway. And sometimes we use it as an excuse. God knows my heart to put aside our call to praise God, which is a physical expression of our worship. There's some sort of physical act attached to our expression of love for him. Now, in the Old Testament, praise is actually mentioned 6,120 times. So we know it's important. It's mentioned a ton. And I think most of us, we read the Bible in English, but many of you might know that the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. And there are some words from the original language that when we try to translate it into English, there's simply no equivalent for it. Like a good example that you might've heard, heard at church is the word love, right? There are four Greek words for the word that we use for love in our day and age. And we use that so broadly, don't we? Like I say, I love my wife, but I also love Taco Bell, right? We use the word so broadly, but in the Greek, there was a different word for each of those loves that were to be expressed. And in the same way, the English translation doesn't quite capture the word praise the way that it was intended in the Hebrew language. Did you know that there are actually seven Hebrew words for our English word praise all throughout the Old Testament? And each of them provide us a unique vantage point, a unique perspective, a unique aspect of our worship unto God. Each of them give us a unique way to express our worship and our praise to God. But here's the powerful thing about this. Every different posture that we approach God with actually helps us see God in different ways. And so a great example of this is... um, when I act silly toward Krista, when I come to her and I'm, I'm like, goofy Mickey, <laughs> and I, I approach her in a silly way, it evokes the silly side and the funny side and the laughter of Krista. When I approach Krista asking her a serious question, it evokes the deep and the depths of who she is. When I approach Krista and I give her that look. That smolder, it evokes something else, the passion between lovers, right? In the same way, different expressions evoke different responses from God. And I think sometimes when worship feels stale, it's not because God's presence isn't fresh. It's not because God's presence isn't new. It's because maybe it requires us to approach God in a different way. 
in a new and a unique way. I think sometimes we come to church and we're at home and sometimes it's hard to feel God's presence. Come on, have you been there? It's hard to feel his presence. It's hard to see him moving in our lives. And maybe it's not that God's not present. Maybe it's not that God's not moving. Maybe what we need is a fresh approach. Maybe what we need is a new posture, a new expression to tap into the limitless beauty of God. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about each of these seven Hebrew words for praise. And our heart today is that you would be inspired to expand your expression of worship to perceive new and beautiful things about God. Y'all excited for that? Awesome. Okay, we're going to get into this. So the first Hebrew word that I want to highlight is this word halal. Right? Easy to remember. Halal, guys. Halal. Halal is one of the primary Hebrew words for praise. It's the most um, frequently occurring word for praise in the Old Testament. And this is what it means. It means to boast, to shine, to rave, to be clamorously foolish, to act madly. Bay Area translation, going dumb. Okay, It's when you are ravenous, you are crazy in love for something or someone. When Chris and I first started dating, I don't know. I had this weird thing where we'd be out in public and I would tell Krista, Krista, I just need to yell at the top of my lungs. I am in love with you and I'm going to do it. And she's like, Mickey, please don't embarrass us. Please don't embarrass us. And I would walk out and be like, I love Krista. And people would think I'm crazy, but that's just how much affection I had bubbling up from the inside of me. This is halal. Like, have you ever been to a concert where you just lost yourself or gone to a dance floor or gone to a club and you just let loose, right? This is what halal looks, feels, and sounds like. And this is actually where we get the word hallelujah from. Halal, which means to clamorously, foolishly praise God, to boast and rave about him. And luyah, which actually highlights Yah, Yahweh, to God. But you know, here in America, for some reason, we've domesticated it a little bit. We translate hallelujah uh, to be praise be to God. But a more appropriate translation that would ruin all of our theologies is when we say hallelujah, what we're saying is, I'm going to act madly and foolishly in love for God. I'm going to rave and boast about him as if he is the greatest thing. Psalm 149.3, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. You recall King David actually expressed this kind of worship in the Old Testament. When the Ark of the Covenant was being brought into the city, scripture says David went dumb. It says he was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, so much so that his wife was so embarrassed. She was like, is this how a king acts? Dancing half naked in front of the entire city? And you know how David replied? He said, oh, you thought this was embarrassing? Oh, this is just level one, baby. Watch this. I will become even more undignified. I'll humiliate myself even more so that I could express my love and my adoration for God. Now, first of all, please do not show up to Sunday service half naked, okay? Only Ying's allowed to do that for some reason. I don't know why. I didn't tell him he's allowed. He just does it sometimes. But it's that kind of exuberant, unrestrained, passionate kind of worship where it doesn't matter what anyone thinks. You're willing to look like a fool for the one you love. I think sometimes, especially at our age, in our day and age, we're, we're so in our heads. Like we're so stuck within ourselves. We're like that middle school 
kid or the teenager at the at the dance for the first time. You know what it was like. You're just standing off to the side and everyone's trying to act cool. No one everyone's afraid to just step out of themselves. We're so hyper focused on what others think of us and we're not truly free. Halal breaks us. From the shackles of others' opinions, it releases us from the prison of overthinking. It says, I'm loved and accepted by God. Who cares what anyone else thinks? The first time I think I really experienced halal was uh, we had a sister or a church that we partnered with regularly in South Korea. And so we visited Seoul in 2011. And this church had been known to be like the halal guys and gals. Like they were just so radically in love with God and they were passionate in expressing it. And I remember I show up to their service and it was, it was wild. I go to the front in the middle of worship and worship. First of all, is an hour and a half long. Okay. Y'all, y'all lucky. We just got 35, 40 minutes, hour and a half long. And when I get to the front of the, of the room where everyone's worshiping, I'm seeing all sorts of things happen. I see someone with a giant ribbon, like twirling in front of everyone. I see someone yelling like, ah! I see people on their knees. I see people in tears. I people, see people singing. I saw one girl who was like maybe half my size on the floor doing one arm push-ups and leaping, like elevating into the air. And I'm like, how are you doing that? I asked her after service why she was doing that. She was saying, I just feel like the Lord was giving me strength and I needed some physical way to express it. And when I talked to each of these people, I asked them like, why do you guys, why are you guys acting so full? Like, I didn't say that, but I said, wow, you guys are really expressive. That's what we say sometimes, right? Wow, you guys are really passionate, huh? And they looked at me and said, yeah, we love God. That's how much we love God. And I know it looks silly, but I don't care. That's halal. When was the last time you halaled for God? Maybe some of us have never done that. Don't worry. In 30 minutes, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do it today. But, but we do want to create context where this is possible. Remember our old building was, you know, natural lighting, white all around. Like it's kind of hard to halal there, but it's dark in here. We got a disco ball. We're trying to help y'all out. Okay. So that's halal. Uh, we're going to run through the other ones a lot quicker. Shabak. Shabak means to shout, to declare, to address in a loud tone. It's a holy roar. It's a shout of triumph. There was a time I visited. Um, I used to be a revival junkie. And what, what that means is I used to try to find every revival service with like a notable speaker or a notable worship team and just like go there so that I could receive and soak. And there was this time in Orange, California. Yes, there's a city called Orange. Jesus culture was going to be there at this church. And so I show up. I'm so excited. I love Jesus culture, old school Jesus culture, Kim Walker, Chris Kalele. I was like, yes, I'm so hyped for Jesus culture. They were the hot band at the time. Hillsong was so yesterday, but Jesus culture was today. And so I show up. I'm excited. All of a sudden worship starts. And it's this screamo, heavy metal, Christian rock band that starts playing. Like the first note was, and then I thought we're going to sing like, okay, maybe just the electric guitar is aggressive, but we're going to sing like, holy is the Lord. Holy is, and they were doing screamo metal worship. And I thought this is the opening act. Surely like Kim Walker is going to jump up there in 10 minutes. No, 45 minutes, screamo worship. They were the main band. I look at the poster again in fine print, the founder of Jesus culture, Banning Liebscher, just the speaker. The band wasn't even there. But one part of the worship service, Screamo Band, they're like, everyone, look to the north. 
And for some reason, we just knew where north was. And we all, like, looked this way. And, like, shout to the north, Jesus! And we all just started yelling, Jesus! I didn't even know what I was doing. I was just trying not to look stupid. And then he's like, look to the south! And we all knew where south was. Scream, Jesus! Jesus! Look to the west! Jesus! East! Jesus! We were shabaking shouting unto the Lord, shouting in a voice of roaring and triumph. Psalm 47, one, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. It's as if you're declaring that joy and victory and triumph in God is so much louder than the voice of everything else and the voice of fear, than the voice of shame, than the voice of doubt, than the voice of pain. But what's interesting about this word is that it mixes this image of a loud and roaring shout with a calm and quiet trust. In Psalms, it's used when God himself speaks and the raging seas are stilled. Right? Shabak is shouting, but it's fueled by a quiet trust in God. It's standing in our God-given authority and declaring his strength and power. And sometimes we just need to shabak in the middle of worship to declare that his voice is louder than every other voice that's coming my way. Shabak. The third word, yada. Look to your neighbor, say yada. Yada mean. Yada means to extend, to lift, to throw out the hand to worship with extended hands. It's lifting our hands in thanksgiving for all that God has done. Psalm 63, 4. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name, I will lift up my hands. Yada expresses a complete and total surrender to God. According to the lexicon, the opposite imagery that would be invoked, the opposite of yada, is like wringing your hands in worry and distress. Right now, uh, my son Zion, he's 14 months. He doesn't know how to express when he's feeling anxious or scared or nervous. You know what he does? He puts his hands together and he just starts wringing them. And you could tell that's when he's nervous or uncomfortable or scared. See, yada is the direct opposite of the closed, clamored wringing of our hands when we're anxious or afraid. It's extending, shooting your hands out. Actually, a more appropriate translation would be to shoot your arms up as if you're shooting an arrow. That's the kind of imagery that it, it, it tells. And I notice sometimes when Zion is really distressed or he needs mommy or daddy, one of the first things he'll do after he does this, you know what he does? He does this. He just lifts up his hands. He's like, Daddy, come hold me. Mommy, come get me. Put me in your arms. I need you right now. And when we yada, that's exactly what we're doing. We're lifting our hands saying, Daddy, we need you. I surrender to you. I need to be in your arms. But another powerful thing happens when we yada, and it's this. Our worship becomes warfare. Right, The imagery that's evoked, like I said, is shooting our hands up like we're shooting an arrow. In Exodus 17, Joshua, he's leading the Israelites into battle against the Amalekites. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur, they're watching from a hill not too far away. And the Bible says that as long as Moses' hands were lifted in the air, the Israelites were winning the battle. But as soon as he started getting tired, they started losing. Man, that, first of all, that was a punishment that you, you did regularly in a Korean household. Your parents would make you get the broomstick and hold it up in the air for like three, 300 hours. Anyway, 
what we're saying is yada is actually warfare. Worship becomes warfare when we lift up our hands. We're saying the battle belongs to the Lord. We're declaring with our hands that the one who goes before me is victorious on my behalf. Yada. The fourth one, Barak. I'm not going to say it. Obama. Barak. I miss that guy. Barak means to kneel down, to bless God as an act of adoration. It's getting on our knees. It's being face down, prostrate on the floor. It's a reverent act of worship. In 1 Chronicles 21:920, then David said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. Barak is an act of submission, right? To kneel before someone is to lift them in higher regards than yourself. It's to honor their worth. It's why in the Korean tradition, we do insa, which means to bow. And when we bow, it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign of elevating the value and the worth and the honor of the person that we are bowing to. It's a physical act that says, God, I know that you are God and I am not. But here's the thing. The image Barak invokes is one of someone bowing before their king. But what's interesting is that in the ancient world, when you would bow before a king, it's not like the Korean tradition where you bow so you're not looking at them. In, ancient, in the ancient world, when you would bow before a king, you would actually keep your face lifted and you would keep your eyes on the king to see wherever the king went. And as you are bowing, if the king moved, your eyes would follow to see where the king was going. It wasn't like a bow of fear or shame or embarrassment where you couldn't look someone in the eye. Like, you know, our dog Fig, who was actually our first child, um, used to get in a lot of trouble, used to break into treats when we were gone, used to break into chocolate when we weren't home. And one time we came home and he got through a bag of macadamia nuts and he was hiding off in the corner. We went up to Fig's like, Fig, did you do this? And you know what Fig did? He was bowing, but he just could not look us in the eye. You've seen it. If you've had dogs or you've seen those videos online, you know that when animals do something wrong, they cannot look you in the eye. That's not what this is. When we bow, when we prostrate ourselves before God, we're keeping our eyes fixed on him. It's not one of fear or shame. It's one of reverence. It says, I'm bowing in total submission and reverence to you, so much so that I cannot take my eyes off of you. When we bow, we're declaring that everything else in this world bows to you, God. Fear bows to you. Shame bows to you. The storm bows to you. When we barack, we're fixing our eyes on the king in an act of reverence. All right, last three. Zamar. It means to pluck the strings of an instrument to sing. Hey, if you tolerated piano lessons or guitar lessons growing up, Guess what? You zamard. Joyful expressions of praise through the playing of instruments. Psalm 71, 22. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praise to you with lyre, lyre, holy one of Israel. In the Old Testament, there was actually music playing 24-7 around the tabernacle. It was constantly playing. It was Christ cella, y'all. It was so important that David actually hired full-time musicians whose sole purpose was simply to play music before the presence of God around on the clock, 24 7, 365. In fact, there was a time where you wouldn't even open up the scriptures in your household.
old unless music was being played. Did you know that the Psalms were actually written to be sung and not just to be recited the way our Western white A's do? Okay, anyway, music unites people. It evokes beauty. It plucks at our heartstrings. Think about the recent Black Panther movie, uh, the trailer. Have you seen the trailer? The music... Oh man, every time I watch it, I tear up. There's something about music that tugs at our heartstrings, that moves us in ways that otherwise would not be moved. But music also heals. They actually have done studies to show that music actually has healing effects for the physical body. Like helping your body fight diseases, overcoming mental illness. There have been studies that have shown that music heals the soul. In fact, when King Saul was tormented by an evil spirit in the Old Testament, he called upon David not to lay his hands on and pray for him, not to preach a sermon to him, not to open up the Bible, but to play the harp. And as he played the harp before him, the evil spirits left Saul. I was in Indonesia almost 10 years ago, and at the church where we were hosting revival services for the week, there was a next-door neighbor who used to go to church, But when we heard her story, she was telling us, you know, I had been going to church for a long time, but my heart has become completely hardened, hardened towards God, hardened towards my husband. And I just feel bitter all the time. And so we actually had the revival service that night. We had the music playing. It was lit. God was really moving. We show up to her house the next day and her countenance had completely changed. Like the first day she came, she was bitter. She was angry. But the next day she was so light and full of joy. She's like, welcome in brother of Christ. And so she, she welcomed the sin, gave us tea, gave us snacks. And she was telling us last night, I was so upset that the church was playing music so loudly next door that I was going to bed frustrated. But when the drum kick hit, every time that bass kick hit, it felt like my heart was starting to soften with every hit of the drum. And it was hitting. And every time it would hit, it's as if my soft heart would grow softer and softer. And eventually, for the first time in over 10 years, I fell down to the floor and I started worshiping. And I felt so free and so soft and light before God. See, music has the power to heal, to transform, to minister to our souls. All right, just two more, y'all. Bear with me. The sixth one, Tehillah. Easy there, not tequila. Tequila means to sing spontaneously, to sing hymns of the spirit. Tequila is worship that is spontaneously sung to God in moments of gratitude. It's your song written in your spirit, unique in that moment, and based on what God has done specifically for you. Psalm 43, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Now, Tehillah is beautiful because it's a unique song, one that's never been sung before, a song just for you and God. Have you ever been so happy or like so thankful that you just started singing and you you don't know what you were singing? You're just making up your own song. Like I I do that all the time with my son, Zion, and my wife, Krista. I have like 30,000 songs for Zion. One is like, here we go across the great sea to another land. And that's how I transport him from the bedroom to the bathroom, right? I have all these songs that I just sing that just come from me that isn't written by a songwriter that isn't written by a famous band right think about birthday cards it's one thing to receive a card that has the uh, generic 
a pre-written message on it, right? There are two types of card givers. One that just gives the card as is with some cash in it or a gift card. But there's another type of card giver who thoughtfully bears their heart through the ink onto the card and it writes a personal private message. See, Tehillah is our personal handwritten letter to God in the form of a song. You know, as amazing as Maverick City is, some of them songs are oddly super specific, right? There's a song called Old Church Basement, and the second verse, these are literally the lyrics. We got together every Wednesday night, about 30 teenagers. My friend Josh bought a cheap guitar and barely knew how to play it. That's actually in the worship song. And you know, like, I I bet like maybe 95% of us are singing that in the middle of worship. We're like, that doesn't really apply to me. Um, I don't remember Josh buying a cheap guitar and he barely knew how to play it with 30 other teenagers just worshiping God, right? Hillsong, Mav City, Bethel, Elevation, they all write incredible corporate worship songs that we all sing that puts together words for our heart's cries. But there are some songs that can only come from you. There are some songs that Hillsong can't write for you. There are some songs that Maverick City do not have the lyrics for. It doesn't matter if you're a songwriter. It doesn't matter if you cannot hold a note. Tehila is waiting to come out of you. There is a song and a story inside of you that is longing to be expressed. There was one time I was in the middle of worship and me and my friend were tehillahing, not tequilaing. We were tehillahing. We were just singing our own song in worship And we're both singing the same thing. We're singing, I love you, I love you. He was singing it differently. My melody was a little bit better. But we're both singing, I love you. But as I looked over to him and heard his song, I knew that his tequila was different from mine. Why? Because his story is different from mine. Listen, you could be singing the same melody, the same words, the same generic things that you hear everyone else say. But when your story is fueling your song, it's a different, unique expression of worship that no one else can sing for you. You know, this is why sometimes in the middle of worship, we let songs breathe for a moment. You'll notice Jacob let some songs breathe so that we could create a space where you can tehillah, where you can sing out your own song, where you can be a little more specific about the gratitude and the thankfulness that you have for God. My mom... um, I might have told this story before, but my mom, her throat is not super great. Um, she's had a lot of damage done to her throat. And I remember 10 years ago when I was living with her, I would regularly walk past the living room in the morning and I would see my mom kneeled on the floor, scripture open, and she would be singing. But because her throat is so messed up, the only sound that came out of her mouth was, I remember every time I'd pass by, I'm like, I wonder, first of all, I wonder what song she's singing. Is this song Korean? Like, what is she singing? What's she saying? But I, I came to realize as I was passing it by every morning, I was like, that's her tequila. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. It doesn't matter what's being, that is her song of gratitude and thankfulness to God. And some of us, it feels like when we're trying to sing, that's all that comes out. But God is so pleased. I remember looking at my mom thinking, God is so pleased with that kind of worship. That is Tehillah. And the last one is Toda. It's a similar translation to Yada. Toda means to extend your hands in adoration or thanksgiving, a sacrifice of praise. But it also gets a little more specific. Toda is extending your arms in gratitude, but it's thanking God for things not yet received. It's thanking God for promises he has yet to fulfill. Toda is thanking God before the fact. 
Jeremiah 33, 11, give thanks to the Lord almighty for the Lord is good. His love endures forever for I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before indicating he hasn't done it yet, but they were still praising even though God hadn't restored the fortunes of their land yet. It's a sacrifice of praise. It costs us something. It costs us our understanding. It costs us certainty. And it calls us to embrace mystery as a sacrifice. But what's special about Todah is that it's an offering we can actually only give to God on this side of eternity. Because there will come a day where we will need no longer, where we'll want no longer, where pain and suffering and death and sadness will be no more. And all things will be made whole. All things will be fulfilled. But we won't be able to todah then. On that side of eternity, there is no thanking God before the fact because the fact has come. The promise has been fulfilled. Everything has been received. But it's only on this side of eternity where we can offer this special expression of praise that says, God, I know you haven't moved yet, but I'm going to thank you for it anyway. I know you haven't broken through yet, but I'm going to praise you as if you did anyway. God, I thank you before the fact. There's something powerful about thanking God for something he has yet to do as if he already did it. And that's what Todah is. It moves the heart of God in a powerful way. So those are the seven expressions of praise. Those are the seven Hebrew words. And the question I want to leave you with this, leave you with today is this. Which of these expressions of praise do you practice regularly? Right? What's something that is just a part of your natural worship rhythm? And which of these expressions of praise do you never do or have never done? Our challenge for you in this season as we're diving deeper into worship is to step outside of yourself this season and try some of these expressions. Maybe worship has been feeling stale. Maybe church and coming before the presence of God has felt stale. Maybe you need a new expression of praise, a new posture, approaching God in a new way. And last thing I want to say is this. Don't wait for your feelings to lead you into praising God. Um, Eugene Peterson, I don't think it's up there, but he once said, Feelings are great liars. If Christians worshipped only when they felt like it, there would be precious little worship. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different. That we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. And here's the, uh, the tweetable money line. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. You know, sometimes after service is over, we ask each other, you know, how was the worship for you? How was the worship? How was the team? What we really should be asking is not how was the worship, but how was your worship? Because hear me, church, no one has the power to take my worship away from me. It doesn't matter if the drums were off. It doesn't matter if the singer was terrible. I have full power and authority over what kind of worship I can offer to God. 
right? Find me at a service that's led by the Island Boys. I will still find a way to praise my God. Find me at a church that only sings hymns with an organ. I will find a way to praise God. Sometimes the truth of God's beauty and goodness, they move us to sing. But other times we have to sing our way into the truth. We have to sing our way into faith. And as we sing, our feelings begin to align with our declaration. And so my challenge to you, church, you might come to church next Sunday and not feel like halaling. You might not feel like bowing down. You might not feel like singing or lifting up your hands, but don't wait on your feelings to praise God. Allow the act, allow the expression to align your feelings to what the truth of God's beauty is. And so in this season, let's dive deeper into that as a community, as a church. Jacob, you could come on up. We are going to practice one of the seven Hebrew words today. Don't worry, it's not halal. It might be one day. But today, I want us to practice toda, Thanking God before the fact. Expressing our gratitude before God has moved. And so right now, I want to invite you into a time of leaning into the presence. Why don't we close our eyes together? And I want you to ask, God, of these seven words, what is an expression that you're challenging me? And you might not even feel comfortable with it yet, but, but you feel this kind of stirring, this challenge, like, I feel like I need to try that. I, I've never done that before, but I feel, like, I feel like I need to do that for some reason. What is that thing? Ask God, which of these seven expressions of worship are you calling me to lean into in this season? Is it halal? To be clamorously foolish, to boast, to shine, to rave, to dance? Is it shabak? Maybe I just need to shout and let it all out. Is it barak? Are you calling me to kneel down, to prostrate myself in your presence? Maybe it's zamar. Maybe there's the instrument that you haven't touched for years that God is kind of prompting you to pick up again. We're actually going to have some instruments for you guys next week. It's going to be really fun. Don't worry, easy instruments. Maybe it's Tehillah. Maybe the reason why worship hasn't been resonating is there haven't been songs that can match your story, that can fully give words to the groans and the cries of your heart. Maybe God is challenging you to sing spontaneously, to sing your own song of worship unto God. Or maybe it's Toda, lifting your hands, thanking God before the fact. Today, as Jacob leads us in this final song, I want us to practice Toda. And it's really twofold. One is an outward expression and one is an inward expression. The inward expression is, God, is there an area where you haven't moved in my life yet? Is there a breakthrough that hasn't come to pass? Is there something you haven't done for me yet? Something that I've been waiting on? Something that I've been praying for? Something that I've been crying for? Is there something, a desire, a want, a need in my heart that I'm waiting for you to move in, God? I want you to begin just thanking God and just say, thank you, because it's already done. Thank you that the breakthrough is already done. Thank you that the promise is already fulfilled, even if I don't see it. You know, some of us, we might not see that breakthrough in our lifetime. 
A lot of the church fathers never saw the promises that they were trying to see fulfilled. But they were fulfilled. Every single one of them. Whether they got to experience it on this life or not, but they were able to experience the gift of God's promise, the fulfillment of God's promise throughout eternity. Toda says, regardless of if I see it in this life or not, I thank you because you are good and because you are doing all things. So in your heart internally, I want you to hold that. Just begin thanking God. God, I thank you for the job breakthrough that hasn't come yet. God, I thank you for the healing in my family that hasn't come yet. God, I thank you for the broken heart that hasn't been mended. God, I thank you for the way you haven't moved yet in my city. God, I thank you for it as if it's already done. But the second is a physical outward expression. And we, we, we express that thanks before the fact by lifting our hands in praise. And so as Jacob leads us, you don't have to lift your hands the whole time, but find a portion of this song where, where you lift up your hands as an expression of your todah, as an expression of God, I thank you for things not yet received. 